1 Corinthians 6. The title of the sermon, as you can see behind me, is Lawful, but Not Expedient. Look with me, if you would, in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly, and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. We preached a message on that last week as we are walking expositionally through 1 Corinthians. And we hit those two verses, and I gave you several principles in those two verses that we'll be re-referencing this week as we spend five weeks now in a topical series on applying this idea of that which is lawful but not expedient to our lives. I'm a father of two and a, almost two and a half years now. My little girls are two years and two months old. There's been a, a great deal of learning that has come with being a father. And as I parent on a day-by-day basis, one of the things I have learned over time is that you can't parent without getting your hands dirty. You're changing diapers, you're feeding children, and not just your hands, but really all of you gets dirty. You're, you're feeding your children and they take that big bite and then they sneeze. And now that big bite is all over you. You are um, picking up your daughter. She just woke up or perhaps she runs to you after the service and she gives you a big old hug and then she takes her nose and she says, oh look, a nice soft surface. My nose is a little runny. And she wipes it all over your shoulder. And these are the things that happen because you're a parent. You can't be a parent without getting a little bit of the child on you. In John chapter 13, Jesus Christ went to wash the feet of His disciples. And as He went to wash the feet of His disciples, the Apostle Peter said, Not so, Lord, you will not wash my feet. And Jesus said, If you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part in me. He said, Well, then wash all of me. And Jesus Christ said, You don't need to be washed all. You've already been washed. You simply need to get the dust off your feet. Jesus Christ was using that as an analogy. That as you walk through this world, even we who are believers, because we're interacting with the world around us, are going to get some dust on our feet. By its very necessity, the fact that we are in the world means that we are going to have to interact with the world. And the world, by definition, is dirty. And we're going to get a little dirty too. Just like when I'm feeding my daughters or interacting with my daughters, by necessity as a parent, interacting with infants and toddlers, I'm going to get a little dirty. Now, there's a difference, however, between me getting a little dirty in my interaction and me going up to my daughter, seeing a runny nose and say, here, let me, let me get that for you. And me taking her and wiping her all over me. And the next time her nose is running again, I just say, okay, and I just start wiping her nose all over me. There's a difference between me having incidental contact with my daughters and me bathing myself in their nose snot. There's the difference. And as we look at this idea of lawful but not expedient... There's a difference between that which comes from interacting with the world and that which comes from us giving ourselves to the world. Because we interact with the world, there will be, by necessity, some overlap. But, we need to determine what is right and what is wrong. What is okay and what is not. And so last week we talked about this spectrum. On one side you have liberalism, we might say, Christian liberalism, those who use their abuse the liberty they have in Christ. On the other hand, you have legalism. Those who shun their liberties in Christ and quite often judge others because they are exercising their liberties in Christ. And what we said is, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 and Galatians chapter 5, 
Galatians 5 says legalism is leaven in the lump. And 1 Corinthians 5 says those who abuse their liberty are also leaven in the lump. And so we are to be right here. Having liberty, but not abusing liberty. And that's what we talked about last week as we discussed all things are lawful. We discussed the principles of Christian liberty and divine authority. We discussed that there are many carnal things that we have been given the liberty to enjoy in this life, though they bear no spiritual fruit. And so we said there are things that no born-again believer should be a part of. We said that there are things that perhaps you can do, but maybe you shouldn't do. And then we also said, just because you shouldn't do something doesn't necessarily mean no Christian should do it. We did not have time to discuss everything that I wanted to because I wrote too much in my sermon. We didn't have time to discuss Romans chapter 14. We'll discuss it a little bit today. But what Romans 14 told us is that we as believers need to be fully persuaded of everything that we do in our own minds. If we can't do it by faith, then we ought not do it at all. There are things which, even though they are not sinful, may not be wise, may not be profitable, may not be beneficial to us. And we did mention that though things are not wise and beneficial to us, that doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong for someone else. To do them. Now, all of these principles were set forth with the intent that each one of us would search our own hearts, would search our own lives, and would determine what in our hearts and lives is sinful and should be ceased, what is unprofitable and should be limited, and what is beneficial and should therefore be exercised. And I, I, have, I don't know if I've ever done this in, this in the Sunday morning setting before where I've taken this and gone topical. I do this sometimes on Tuesday evenings in our midweek service. I do this sometimes in Sunday school. I don't know if I've ever gone topical in this manner in a Sunday morning. I like to stay expositional. But I really am burdened that I give you all help in this matter. And many of you aren't here except on Sunday mornings. I want to help you create a framework in five areas of your life that will help you determine what is wrong, what is lawful but not expedient, and what is profitable. And so we're going to talk about amusements this week. We're also going to talk about modesty or appearance. We're going to talk about music. We're going to talk about substances, be that illegal or legal substances, uh, drugs, alcohol, those sorts of things. And we're going to talk about hobbies. And I'm breaking up amusements and hobbies, and, and you'll see how I break them up today. And as we do this, um, there's some things that I want to start out saying. This week we focus on amusements, but let me tell you what I'm not trying to do here and then what I am trying to do here. I am not trying to fit you into a box of do's and don'ts. I am not trying to create a Christian church of clones. I'm not trying to encourage you to isolate yourself from the world around you or from the people in this world. What am I trying to do this morning? I'm trying to give you a solid framework in key areas of both society and culture by which you can make wise decisions for yourself and for your family. And I'm going to highlight certain areas of danger and compromise in contemporary Christian culture that you need to be aware of. Perhaps you're already aware of them. You can say, Pastor, I already know what's going on here. Or perhaps you've never quite thought about it this way before. Now, I'm going to preach this series and I'm going to do it fairly unapologetically. However, as I draw these careful conclusions from biblical commands and principles, I do not fool myself into thinking that everyone in this room is going to agree with me 100%. That's not why I'm doing this this morning. May I encourage you to think, to reason, to consider where you and your family find themselves in this area of amusements. And through the Holy Spirit's help, understanding what the Word of God says, consider your role and your place. I'm going to preach biblical ideas with an eye toward careful balance. And while I will do so, let me just reiterate the foundation of these messages that you must 
keep in mind as we walk through these five weeks. First question you need to ask is what I am doing sinful? If it's sinful, you have no excuse. If it's not sinful, the next question is what I am doing, can I do it in good conscience? If you can't do it in good conscience, then you're in the wrong place. If it's not sinful and you can do it in good conscience, the final question is, is this decision expedient? Is it beneficial? Am I operating within the bounds of God's revealed will? How does this decision affect my testimony? Is this decision a balanced part of a godly life? And am I doing it in a balanced manner? And so we'll begin this morning with societal amusements. We live in a culture consumed with amusement. And as I begin this this morning, if you would like just that basic template, that basic outline, basically something to write on, by all means, if you'd like something to write on, my wife is coming around with a piece of paper. When I speak to this end, and there are many categories that come to mind, you might see them there, you do see them there behind me. TV, movies, video games, literature, dances, concerts, these sorts of things. This is the amusement that we have in our culture. These are the things that amuse us. I mentioned already that we are going to distinguish between amusements and hobbies. And this is how I'm going to distinguish them. Amusements would be these sorts of things. Hobbies, we would say, would be perhaps things like sports, hunting, fishing, sewing, working on cars, working on bikes, or going biking, art. Those sorts of things we would regularly consider to be more hobby and less amusement. Now, in today's culture, amusements and hobbies have kind of overlapped in a lot of ways, but I am going to distinguish them in this way. And as we begin, I I believe all of us would agree on the fact that we live in an amusement-crazed culture. And it would be foolish for us to ignore this amusement-crazed culture. There's a point in every culture where due to progress, due to power, due to wealth, due to all of these uh, elements of the culture itself, it finds ample time for amusements. Now, throughout time, these amusements have regularly, oftentimes, been very social. You think about uh, the, the decades, or, or we would say the centuries gone by. Balls and plays and those sorts of things were amusement. You'd go to places where you could chat with people. Well, today we live in a very unique age where amusement tends to be something that we do more individually. We have our smartphones and our tablets and our TVs and we have Facebook and Twitter and and I guess we're doing it with other people. We're just doing it digitally. We're not doing it face-to-face. We're also in a unique time in history because amusements are accessible, are readily accessible, not just to the wealthy, but to the poor. A person may be on every form of welfare possible, but he's going to have his TV, right? I mean, amusements are just a, it's a, very, it's a part of culture. It's a, very, it's a very part of the fabric of our lives. And that puts us in a very interesting place. With the advent of television and videos and inter- internet and these sorts of things, amusement is accessible to everyone. It's not so much the haves up top that are doing nothing because they've got all the money and they just amuse themselves all day, and the have-nots who simply have to scrape to survive. There are, pl- there are cultures in the world that have to do that, but ours is not one of them. And God has given to mankind both a joy and a privilege in that He lives a life filled with more than work. Amusements are a blessing from the Lord. He's made us creative and He has given us the privilege of living lives of enjoyment. Amusement is a blessing. But amusement must be in its proper place. And the question I would ask you this morning as we begin this is, is, is this. What happens when amusement becomes unbalanced in a culture? What are the implications of a society that is consumed with amusement. I thought of four. A society consumed with amusement is distracted, lazy, selfish or entitled, and immature. should say immature up there. When a society becomes consumed with amusement, it changes the very character of that society. 
They get distracted. The tedium of work and responsibility becomes unacceptable to them. They want to live in the world that the amusements of life present to them. They want to live a sitcom culture. Do we not? Isn't that what we see around us? An entire culture that wants to live a sitcom life? Do we not see the glamour that comes from those who amuse us and want to be just like them? Today is the AFC and NFC Championship Games. Culture is consumed with these football games, are they not? We'll talk about that a little bit more as we go on and we see how this fleshes itself out. But we are in a culture that is consumed to the point where people's lives revolve around the ability to be amused. And it creates a distracted culture. There's an article written in August 2006 in Inc. Magazine and it reported this. This was, this was um, eight years ago. That employees waste almost two hours a day on the internet and it's accounting for $554 billion in lost productivity every year. That was eight years ago. That was before adults even really knew how to use Facebook. That was before adults even knew what tweeting was. Now adults are pretty well into this. So much so that kids think Facebook is, is, is done. It's gone. It's not cool anymore because their parents are on it. Two hours a day at that time, eight years ago, was spent on the internet instead of doing actual work. $554 billion in lost productivity every year. That's the kind of culture we live in today. They want to be amused. They want to be pleased. They, they don't want the tedium of work. And lest we just point the fingers at others, how much productivity is lost every week in your home through amusement? How much could you get done that's not getting done because the television's on? Or that video game is on? Or the internet is accessible? And I'm not just pointing at you. I work on the computer all day every day. This is a part of our culture now. It's a, it's a part of our fabric, is it not? And would we would be, we'd be willing to say this morning that it's, it's lawful but not expedient? There's not a lot of benefit to these amusements. It's created a distracted culture. Second, it's created a lazy culture. You know, if we're not careful, amusement goes beyond distraction and it becomes priority. Perhaps you've heard the stories of those people in Korea. They have video game uh, bars there in Korea. And there have been numerous reports through the years of Koreans who have slumped over and died while they've been playing video games in one of these of now malnutrition. They have been so consumed with the video game that they literally did not eat and did not drink and died. And this is the culture and that, that's in Korea, but, but we're not too far from that in this age, are we? This is not a message of craziness and, and let me tell you something, it's being preached to you every day billboards on television and on the internet I've got a couple of commercials to show you this morning they're both Coke Zero commercials I don't know if you're familiar with these commercials if you've seen them if you've not how much TV you watch consider this first commercial with me this morning um, is, it, is the, vol the volume's not on Matt video games are amazing 92 artists created them forward again and we'll, we'll start that commercial back Hit, hit. Uh, yep, thank you. Good. Hey, honey, thanks again for picking up my parents at the airport. Love how I can count on you. It's not your fault. You forgot to go to the airport. Video games are amazing. 92 artists created this one scene. Millions must spend reality can't compare. Plus, are you just going to let Lord Skillbrook lay siege to Dopenshire? Not today. The Brotherhood of Falcons needs him. They can take a taxi! So go forth and enjoy everything. Coke Zero. Comical commercial. But what just happened in that commercial? A man's significant other calls and says, Thank you for picking up my parents at the airport. He's playing a video game. And he says, Oh, I was supposed to do that. And then he starts to reason it out in his mind, right? Wait a minute. Millions of dollars was spent to develop this game. They can take a taxi. 
I, I, my priority is to help my clanmates destroy this guy on the other end in this fake world. And the message is enjoy everything. Adults in this room, is everything about life enjoyable? Is this a message that's preaching to our children something that is valid, much less godly? It's not. Consider one more Coke Zero commercial that, that brings it closer to home. Well, we, we've talked about video games. Maybe you're not a couch bum. But most of you go to work. Consider, consider a work application to this. There's no way they're not going to win this year. Well, the point guard's a freshman. It's not going to run out incoming. It's not your fault you're working on brackets instead of working on work. Someone needs to put an end to Sharon's reign of terror. Plus, picking sides has always been a national tradition. I picked America. See, you're not slacking. You're just being patriotic. So pick those picks and enjoy everything. Coke Zero. A freshman point guard's a disaster. What just happened there? A man is at work. A company is giving him money for his time and for his effort and for his expertise. And while he's on the clock, being paid for his time and his money and his expertise, he is using that time to pick NCAA brackets instead of doing what he's supposed to do. And when he begins to feel guilty about that because his boss is coming around, Immediately, he starts to reason it out in his mind as to how he can spin his laziness and turn it into patriotism so that he can enjoy everything. A lazy culture. It's being preached to us every day. Amusement has consumed our culture to the extent where this stuff, though it is comical, it's funny, this stuff is what is going into our children's minds as being normal. And they're learning, folks. They're learning. A society consumed with amusement, it's distracted, it's lazy, it's selfish, or it's entitled. They say, I'm not having fun, so I'm being treated poorly. There's a generation in this room that's uniquely qualified to speak against this, and it's not my generation. My generation is reaping the benefits of the hard work of the generation that came before me. And we are a self-entitled generation because of the generation that worked hard that brought about the prosperity whereby we can feel self-entitled today. But we are, are we not? You read about the people coming out of high, um, college and they expect to get their immediate $80,000 a year job with full benefits and, and they're upset if they have to settle for anything low on the totem pole. Selfish. Entitled. Everything ought to simply happen to us. We shouldn't have to put forth any effort to make things successful. And finally, immature. We live in a culture where people just plain don't grow up. Childish and immature their whole lives. They try to live the life they see on television. We talked about the sitcom life. Everything wraps up in 30 minutes, right? All of the drama. It's all drama at the beginning of the episode. It's all better at the end of the episode. It's the kind of folks that are being raised in this day and age. And get my own way and let's make it easy culture. All of these things. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm not preaching to you Bible yet. I'll get there. This is just me pinpointing culture. This is just me pointing out what you see every day in front of you. All of these things are, are, are reflected in a culture of amusement. And when amusement becomes industry, instead of just, just diversion, amusement changes. Those elements which in their proper place afford some diversion from life, they become life itself. They become the medium by which our children learn right from wrong. They become the source of all entertainment. They become the place where life finds its meaning. And when this happens, the collective senses of society become dull. And so people can't stay awake for a 40-minute sermon, but they can quote almost every line of that two-hour movie. So people can't spend 15 or 20 minutes in the morning reading their Bible, but they can spend five hours with a remote control in their hand playing video games. And so people 
will defend their sports team even to the extent where they will die for them. But they will not defend their wife to the extent where they will stick with her in marriage. Do you realize that? That our city just spent $500 million on a stadium for billionaires? That our society is so consumed with amusement that we would give of our own small amounts of money to help billionaires get something that they could have paid for with pocket change? Why? Because we are consumed with amusement. How many men going to the AFC and NFC championship games today have spent thousands upon thousands of dollars and reworked their work schedules to get to these games? And if their team has a bad year next year, they'll say, hey man, where's the loyalty? You just need to stick it out. The team will become good again someday. Stick it out. Be loyal. You're such a bad fan. But then they have a fight with their wife and it's all over. They'll stick it out for their sports team, but they won't stick it out for their family. A society that is consumed with amusement, our senses get dull, our heads get turned around, we don't even know what we're doing anymore. And it's the society in which you and I live. And it's the society that we touch every day of our lives. And if we think that we're not going to get dust on our feet, we're silly. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 says this, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. I'll tell you why things are the way they are. They are the way they are because we have allowed ourselves to become a culture consumed with amusement and this culture has grossly weakened the church in this age. May I translate this verse that you see in front of you this morning into our topic? If Paul were talking specifically about amusement, he'd say this. He'd say, amusement is okay for me to take part in, but not all amusement is beneficial So while I enjoy the amusements of life, I will not be brought under their power. I will not allow my wife to be consumed with them. I will not get to the point where my life is so consumed with amusement that I am letting go of that which is needful and beneficial for that which is not expedient. I will not be brought under the power of these things. And as we apply this morning, I'd like to take those three points that we talked about at the beginning, we talked about last week, we'll talk about every week, and we're going to apply them to the principles of entertainment and amusement this morning. First principle, there are things that no born-again believer should do. This principle is essential to the type of amusements we choose to engage in and the way in which we consume them. Consider with me some important topics or verses on the topic of what happens when I let things in through my eyes and through my ears. Consider that what goes in will come out. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8 say this, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of his flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. In other words, what you plant is what's going to grow. I've said it many times. You've never planted a corn seed and seen a pumpkin pop out of it. It just doesn't happen. What goes in is what comes out. What you put into your mind and into your ears and into your eyes and into your heart is what's going to come out. And so if you are placing nothing but amusement and particularly sinful amusement into your mind, don't be surprised when what's coming out is sinful. Don't be surprised when your attitudes and when your speech and when your thoughts are wrong. Don't be surprised if you're angry or if you're selfish or if you're unforgiving when what you've been putting into your mind and heart all week is anger and selfishness and unforgiveness in movies and in video games and such. What you plant into your life is what's going to grow out of your life. So there are things that no born-again believer should be a part of. I'm not going to name specifics this morning. I'm not going to... I could go down a list of movies and video games and such, but that would be foolish. There's, there's too many that cause contention. I don't need to. There's no need to do that. We all know. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling if you're a born-again believer. You know what's right and what's wrong. Let's consider 
Second, the importance of protecting our hearts. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says this, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Keep, word literally meaning guard or protect. Protect your heart with all diligence, because out of your heart comes every issue of life. It's going to determine if you're a person that takes initiative, if you're a good leader, if you're submissive to your boss, if you're submissive to your husband, if you are honest at school, if you're honest at work. It all comes from your heart. Consider the, well, what believers ought to be putting into their minds. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. We've said it many times. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any praise, if there be any virtue, think on these things. Why? Because Galatians 5 tells us that what comes in will come out. If garbage is coming in, garbage is going to come out. If virtue is what's coming in to your life, then virtue is what's going to come out. Consider the standard by which every action is weighed. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 14. God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. God will judge you for the good and the evil. You will stand before Him and answer for it. Consider the omnipresence of God. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. He sees it. Ecclesiastes told us even the secret things. There's nothing you do in the darkness that's not seen by God. So it's not seen by your parents. So it's not seen by your teacher. So it's not seen by your boss. We go back to that commercial. They were just as wrong when they were talking brackets and their boss wasn't there as they were when he, when he caught them doing it. It didn't become wrong because he got caught. It was wrong before he got caught. Because God saw it. And God knows. Consider the faith standard. Romans chapter 14, verses 22 and 23. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not a faith of sin. Are you doing what you are doing in faith? Can you do what you do? Can you watch that movie, play that video game, do that thing, go that, to that place in faith? If you can't, it's sin. And there will be a little bit of a different standard there for everyone. There are certain people that do not think they should do something, even though it's their liberty, but it would offend them to do it. If they can't do it in faith, then they shouldn't. If it's not a faith, it's sin. So there are things that born-again believers should not do. It's sinful. Our second point, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. Now we step into that area of Christian liberty. We referenced it a little bit in Romans 14 just a few moments ago. If you cannot do something by faith, then you shouldn't do it, even if it is not sin. Consider the, some biblical concepts that would take something otherwise okay and turn it into something that is wrong. Consider the preciousness of time. Ephesians 5, 16 and 17. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. We are called to redeem. That word in the Greek literally means to buy back the time. Because the days are evil. It is 10.45 and 3 seconds, 4 seconds, 5 seconds, 6 seconds. Every second that is going by is lost forever. You will never, ever, ever get it back. And the scriptures say we need to redeem the time because the days are evil. Because there are bad things happening all around us because we are in a time that is progressing toward greater apostasy and there's work to be done. Consider as well in this regard Psalm 90 verses 10 through 12. This is Moses, actually, writing this psalm. And he says, The days of our years are threescore and ten. That's seventy. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore or eighty years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. 
Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us, Moses says. God, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. To not use our days in frivolity, but to wisdom. See, there are things that we can do. The television is not sinful. Right? Many of us in this room would be gun activists. That means we recognize that the gun is not sinful, but what happens with the gun that's wrong, right? Just like a spoon doesn't make a guy fat, a gun doesn't kill people. People kill people. A television is not inherently evil. It's a bunch of plastic and glass and chemicals that's lighting up a screen. But what is done with it or how much time we take with it can be wrong. If I allow myself to be so consumed with amusements that I am not coming to church, that I am not evangelizing the lost, well, yeah, you know, there's that, that church activity. We're going to go pass out some flyers in the area, but there's a really good television show on. We have just given up the opportunity to evangelize the lost for amusement. We have just given up the possibility of of telling a soul about Christ to keep up with our favorite television show. See, we can do that. It's not unlawful for us. It's not even necessarily sinful for you to stay at home and watch that television show. But is it beneficial? Is it expedient? If the days are evil, if we need to redeem the time, then what are we doing with our time? Consider the importance of priorities. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. This is Jesus Christ speaking. He says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Treasures. Where you put your time, where you put your money, where you put your energy. Those are your treasures. The Scriptures say where your treasure is. That's where your heart is. You say, ah, that guy didn't know what he was talking about. That's Jesus Christ speaking. That's God in flesh speaking. He said where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. You say, nope, my heart is with God, but my treasures are with amusements. No, you're fooling yourself. If all of your time and all of your money and all of your effort is put into amusing yourself, that's where your heart is. That is the testimony of Jesus Christ. So while it's not wrong to watch TV, while it's not wrong to watch a football game, in fact, it's quite possible my sister and I will sit down and watch the Broncos play this afternoon. We've got a few other things to do first. It may happen, it may not. But it's, and I'm not going to feel guilty about it because it's not sinful for me to do. But, notice I have a blue shirt and an orange tie on this morning even. But, if I were to shirk my responsibilities to God, if I were to come to church tonight unprepared because I was watching a football game this afternoon, then I have just done something which is lawful but not expedient. And you know what? It might very well be unto me sin because I have responsibilities. Consider the danger of temptation as well. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 16 says this, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away, what? Of his own lusts and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And then he says, do not err, do not err. Do not step aside. Do not be diverted, my beloved brethren. You see, you are tempted when you're drawn away of your own lusts and you're enticed. There are things that you can't do. We talked last week a little bit about food. There are certain foods that I can just go without eating. No problem. You put a cake or a pie before me and I can say, no thank you. You put cookies before me and the cookies are gone. So if I don't want to eat cookies, if I should not eat cookies, then what should I do? Not put cookies before me. So while it might be lawful for someone in this room to watch a television show, it may put them in a place where they are going to see something in that show that would tempt them towards sin. 
Or, while it's not wrong for them to watch that television show, if they have time management problems, it might be wrong for them to sit down and sit in front of the television because it's going to consume too much of their time. It's lawful, but it's not expedient, and it might put him on the path towards sin because we're drawn away from our own lusts when we're tempted, and then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 7, please. I hope this is making sense. I told you these were some of the hardest messages I've ever had to write because I don't like diverting from Scripture. I don't like going off and, and, and saying things that aren't necessarily already found in the Word of God. And the beginning of this message was me pinpointing areas of society and you all could have just said, well, Pastor, that's your opinion. I don't ever like to stand on opinion. That's why I like the Word of God because it's not me and I don't have to worry about it. So I, I took great care in writing these messages I believe they are founded in biblical principles and I am um, in, on safe ground. But thank you for your attentiveness. Proverbs chapter 7, we see a story. Look what he says in verse 6. For at the window of my house I looked through my casement and beheld among the simple ones. I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding passing through the street near her corner. That, that would be a prostitute's corner. And that was um, stated in verse 5. And he went the way into, uh, to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot and subtle of heart. She is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. Now is she without, now in the streets, and lieth in wait at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him. And with an impudent face said unto him, I have peace offerings with me. This day have I paid my vows. Therefore came I forth to meet thee, diligently to seek thy face. And I have found thee. I have decked my bed with coverings of tapestry, with carved works, with fine linen of Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrhs, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves. For the good man is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He hath taken a bag of money with him and will come home at the, appointed, or at the day appointed with her... Much fair speech she caused him to yield, and with flattering of her lips she forced him. He goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till a dart strike through his liver, as a bird hasteth to the snare, and knoweth not that it is for his life. Hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye children, and attend to the words of my mouth. Let not her heart, uh, thine heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her paths, for she hath, hath cast down many wounded, Yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. Here's a story of a simple man, lacking understanding. And as the man who wrote the proverb looks from his window, he sees this man, and he sees the corner where the harlot is. And this man is walking along the path. And the scriptures say he's simply void of understanding. He's a man that doesn't understand what he's about to get himself into. And so as he walks by the corner, she basically pounces on him and, and entices him inside. She tells him, I was waiting for you. You're the one I was waiting for. No, she was waiting for whoever she could get her hands on. She, didn't, she doesn't care about him. Not even a little bit. But this is what she says. She entices him with her words. Now, was it wrong for him to go by the corner? public walkway. It's not sin for him to go by the corner. Was it wrong for him to be out sit, uh, walking at night? No. But was it foolish for him to be walking around at night and to go by the corner of a harlot's house? Absolutely. He put himself into a place to fail. It was lawful, but not expedient. And he did fail because he put himself in a place to fail. How often do we do the same thing? How often do we put ourselves in the path of sin and then we end up sinning because we're in the path? It's lawful, but it's not expedient. Also consider your testimony before believers. Romans chapter 14, verses 14 and 16. 
I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother, brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. This is not speaking of a person who believes that they need to do things, do works to get saved. This is speaking of a man who is a believer, but he has higher standards. And so his higher standards make him feel like if he were to eat meat, he would be sinning. And the scriptures tell us that for our testimony before believers, you should not eat meat in his sight because you will offend him. And so, though it's lawful, it's not expedient. Consider also our, our testimony before unbelievers. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1-5. through 5. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. Continuing on the next slide. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excessive wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excesses of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give an account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. Here, Peter is speaking of the fact that you used to be one of these that was overindulgent and that did all of these things and perhaps was consumed with a culture of amusement. And then you got saved. And now everyone is looking at you like you're crazy because you're no longer consumed with the wicked sins of this life. Because you're no longer consumed with overindulgence. And by them seeing you and your testimony, they see a little bit of the Word of God. They see a little bit of Christ. So maybe it's lawful for us to pursue those amusements, but is it expedient? Is it beneficial? Is it right? Consider the call that is upon you as believers. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go ye therefore, Jesus said, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you alway, even to the end of the world. Amen. That's our job, folks. That's what we're to be doing. Amusements won't get us there. And so there are things that no born-again believer should do. There are things that we can do, but that doesn't mean we should do them just because we can do them. Finally, just because you shouldn't do something doesn't mean no one should. And so we each have decisions to make in our lives. What will we watch on TV? What video games will we play? Where will we go for fun? What will we allow to enter our ears and to enter our hearts? What will our motivation be for doing it? How much time will we spend on it? Is this amusement affecting my outlook on life? Am I under the power of this amusement? Now, if I were to run down a list of movies or video games or whatever it might be, some of you might agree with me entirely, some of you might not. Some of you might say, Pastor, you missed this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. And I wouldn't have thought of those because where I am is not necessarily where you are in your understanding, in your spiritual maturity, and all of those elements. Some people aren't spiritual mature enough to understand their liberties in Christ, so they won't do something that they could do. Some people aren't spiritually mature enough to recognize what they shouldn't do, so they will do things they shouldn't do. Some people can handle certain things because they don't have a temptation in an area whereas other people can't. And I'm not talking about sin. We're, not, we're, we're on the standard you know, past sin. This is things that are, are not sinful but are in our, in our Christian liberty. Whereas there are some people that shouldn't do things maybe because of where they are in their life, maybe because of their children, maybe because of various elements. So the standards we erect in our lives are a sliding scale based upon many factors in our lives. And that's what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, and 13. That there are many things, all things, that are lawful, 
but that doesn't mean that they're all beneficial. Paul is not endeavoring to give us a license for our sin, but to show us our responsibility under grace to know God's Word and then through the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives to judge how it is we can best please God, win souls, and be a testimony for Him while conforming ourselves to God's character, will, and work without stepping out of the world in which we live. It's a great responsibility. It's one that every believer in this room is fully equipped through the power of God to accomplish. And so as we close, I ask you the question. How are you doing? What elements of your life are sinful in your amusements? And you just need to decide today it's gone. It's done. It's out of here. I don't want it. I don't need it. It's sinful. It's wrong. What elements are lawful? but not expedient? What elements are perhaps out of balance? Too much time. Too much time doing doing that. Too much money. Too much money being poured into that. Or perhaps there's just plain no benefit. It's time to move on to something more beneficial. And as this third point makes very clear, I didn't preach this message so that you could look around and say, yeah, he's doing that. I hope he's listening. Because we all stand before God and we answer to Him. You don't answer to Pastor Wickler. Now, if you're sinning, then you might answer to this church as a member in church discipline. But your individual actions before God and your liberties in Christ, you don't answer to me. You don't answer to each other. You answer to God. And you will one day. So, it would behoove us to make sure that our amusements are balanced and proper. Because all things are lawful, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be placed under the authority, under the power of any. Let's close in prayer.